0: real conversation conversation. and some hard truths. Gangs, Gangs, drugs, drugs, and guns. guns. Giving a voice to those willing to sacrifice. We have stories that need to be told. We have lessons that need to be taught. Protect and serve. Welcome to The Quiet Professional. Hey everybody, welcome back. Nathan Rome is with you. Today we are going to be talking about mental health and recovery. From a leadership perspective. For that, I have retired Master Warrant Officer Tim Turner from the Canadian Forces on the show. Tim spent 24 years in the regular army, seven in the reserves. He served with two commando, PPCLI, Skyhawks parachute team, and was a master sniper. Tim completed tours in many places. So I'm going to list a few here. He was in Cyprus, Croatia, the Middle East. Afghanistan, and Sierra Leone. Uh, After the army, he spent further 12 years working with the Alberta sheriffs. Ten years were with the Executive Protection Unit, where he worked with five different premiers. He also was an aide-de-camp to the Lieutenant Governor of Alberta. I hope I said that right. Right. (laughs) Aide-de-camp. I've never heard of that position. But uh, Tim has been married for 40 years and is a skydive coach with Campbell River Skydive Center. So, welcome, Tim. Thank you.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Uh, some people might think the name sounds familiar. Uh, we had your son on here, Nick Turner, as part of our Veterans Series back in November. So, Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, it was really good conversation. He was a really good guest. Um, hmm. I'll have to have him on in the future when he has time. He's a busy dude. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, but yeah, we'll kind of maybe start at the beginning, and we'll get into the whole leadership discussion because I, I think with the number of places you've been, obviously you've been promoted several times in the military, even your time with the Alberta sheriffs—it's a pretty unique job. Not a lot of people have uh, knowledge on, but I think you can talk a lot about the mental health aspect from the leadership side, because I think I guess most people get it from the more the boots on the ground perspective and yeah. just think it's all about bullets whizzing overhead or bombs going off near you, which is certainly an aspect, but um, yeah, we'll talk about the leadership side of things, but maybe you can just start by telling some people uh, about yourself. So where you come from and uh, how you got into the, the path of service.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, originally I'm from Australia and uh, my, my parents immigrated to Canada. So I actually became a Canadian citizen at 18 years old in order to join the military. Oh, huh. and, and uh, so my dad's background was he was submarines in the Royal Navy, mm. and they moved, they immigrated to Australia. I was hatched, and we then we moved here. So his love of war movies and all that good stuff uh, got me interested in the military. And uh, you know, you just know, at 12 years old, I'm watching a movie. It's got airborne Bruce, and I'm like. That's what I want to do. I want to jump out of planes. Um, so at twelve, I knew exactly what I want to do and what my focus was going to go to. So we moved all over the country. So I, I had an opportunity to see everything. We we lived in Halifax, we lived in Victoria, Sudbury, Ontario, Toronto, um, Newmarket. So a lot of uh, a lot of my time was finished off in southern Ontario. So I found out about the. The army reserves actually i found out about the military through the old military magazine called sentinel which was produced by the canadian forces okay and uh, through sentinel i was seeing a lot of articles on princess patricia's canadian light Infantry and two commando so i'm like okay that's what i want that's what i want to do but i didn't know how to go about it uh, so when i was 17 i went down to the queen's own rifles of canada joined them And that's where I was introduced into skydiving. Um, Wasn't fully in the unit yet. And they invited me to do their adventure training. So I went skydiving in Gananoque, Ontario. So the neat little six degrees of separation there was this, uh, my jump instructor was named Eileen Vaughn. And she was a world champion skydiver. So this is 1982. This is huge. And uh, she later on, joined the Queen's Own Rifles as an administrative officer, and she became uh, one of the first females on the Skyhawks parachute team uh, later on. So Queen's Own actually became the first paratrooper reserve unit, and uh, I managed to go on my jump course at 18. Wow. I took my Maroon Bray course with the Airborne Regiment, and then I was attached to 3 Commando um, on long six- to eight-month tasks before I joined the regular Army. Because at that time, for some reason, it was very slow getting in. It took two years to get in, even though I already had all these qualifications. Oh, wow. It was, uh, yeah, not a very good system. And then I had to go through all the hoops again. I had to go, even though I spent months and months with Three Commando, I had to go through basic recruit training. And uh, I still had my jump wings on, going through basic recruit training. As a matter of fact, some of my instructors were some of my session commanders from three commando, and they're like, "Hey, what are you doing here?" I'm like, "Hey, you tell me." <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so, anyways, I, I wouldn't have traded that for anything. It was a great, another great experience, especially doing battle school and PPCLI. And um, once I got to battalion, I only spent about seven months in battalion and posted straight to two commando.
2: Oh wow!
1: So my focus of exactly what I wanted to do actually came about. So that, that was quite good. Um, once in the commando, uh, we deployed to Cyprus right away on a peacekeeping mission. I was a young trooper. Hey, you know, it was a, a good, good opportunity. It was a great job. Um, you know, that mission had be going on for over 20 years at the time. It was a true peacekeeping mission. Not a lot was going on, but we still had small incidents happening um, during, during that mission. And one of the really neat things I had the opportunity to do was a uh, week-long exchange with the Swedish army. So I got to go and work their observation posts and be with them. And that was quite fun because you got to see how that different culture works. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's quite hot in Cyprus, yet these guys, they're, they're, they love taking saunas. So they actually built saunas so they could sauna all day. <laughs> and, the, and, the, and the Swedes consisted of a lot of uh, Finnish guys that were there. And that that's all they're about is sauna. So these guys could last like an hour i'm like I lasted 10 minutes. I know. Um but it was good, a good great opportunity. Uh on returning uh from that uh the airborne regiment was quite a good stepping stone for me. So uh, as could you can imagine I'm only a trooper um go two years later. I've only got uh, two years in the regular army and I'm already going my section commander course, my sergeant's course uh, so I was picked into that and I was also drafted into Pathfinder platoon. So you get drafted by the platoon based on performance, uh, went over there. So in 1988, it actually was quite good. Um, here I am in Pathfinders, uh, did my military freefall course and then section commander course, all as a trooper. Are
0: you are you at this time, like, is this a fast, uh, I'll say a fast track for someone? Like, is it quick Yeah. or normally takes them longer, I guess?
1: Yeah, that was very quick. Um, <laughs> however, because you're detached from your primary regiment, PPCLI, I pushed into the airborne regiment. Even though I got onto that session commander uh, course as a, as a uh, trooper, you're kind of forgotten about in the meriting of the regiment. Mm. So you guys are left alone, not getting promoted. Okay. So I got the course, but you're not getting promoted because you're not in the battalion at the home unit um so that took uh two years after that course is when i got promoted to master corporal in 1990 when i was on the skyhawks so that was kind of nice and
0: from there so you're kind of going along passing through the ranks and and getting a lot of these opportunities did you find um you find like as you're growing up and kind of coming through those early stages in the military uh is there anybody that kind of mentored you or that you looked up to mm. that kind of You thought like I want to emulate that person.
1: Absolutely, many different session commanders and officers, you know, make that impact. And I think that's the key to anyone's success moving up the rank structure. You do have to pick a mentor. You have to um, take bits and pieces from different leaders to make that you as a as a leader on your own side. Taking all those little chunks. Yeah. And I I, and I was really blessed. Like we we had great great uh junior ncos and senior ncos and officers uh shaping me and uh and shaping everyone it's just whether you accept that shaping whether you accept that mentorship mm-hmm. um and i think that's a problem with some people is they're not taking that in or using those skills to help themselves so i was taking every opportunity um so my session commander that was on my session commander course um i emulated that guy huge i love the way he he was very aggressive on his instruction very to the point i love it mm-hmm. and then a lot of joking around on top of that right because you know you need to relax the guys and all that kind of stuff so i used that those pieces many NCOs and Pathfinder were just incredible they're all about teaching and instructing and passing that information on um so all those little bits i took in Another one is the negative side. I like seeing bad leaders and, and seeing I'm definitely not doing that.
0: Yeah. I think that's a, like a lot of people get that with um with parents, right? Like you might take some stuff and they like, "Okay, I'm not doing that in the future," right? You hope people kind of learn from those experiences.
1: Yeah, definitely. But that that negative side is important. You have to understand that that that's not a good path, so don't get on that path. Mm-hmm. Right from right from how you live, Dave. Day by day, you have to have an ethical way of running your family. And that relates to your job because, you know, you also see that, that misbalance with, you see really good leaders and then you go over to their house and it's just, you're like, wow, this is the opposite of how you actually run your your military section and your personal life is just a disaster. Mm -hmm. So you you have to have that combination of both.
0: It's kind of like a, almost like a facade right they can put it on for an hour or two when they're see you um yeah well and i think the big thing is like the criticism so the military kind of teaches you to take a lot of the criticism and and turn it into you know a positive you got to do a lot of things like paying attention to detail people are ripping apart your bunks and doing inspections or whatever you might have right um yeah, you definitely have to, I, th- I think that's one thing that's missing well from society today in general, but uh, is people looking for that, um, seeking those kind of opportunities out and using those to better themselves. So yeah, the leadership aspect is is definitely hard to come by in a lot of sense. Um, but if you don't have, would you say like with the military and in your experience, at least up to that point, did you see a lot of, was it more, were there more good examples or did you have kind of was it like 50, 50, or would you say there was actually like a lot of bad examples more so than good?
1: No, you definitely see more good, um, particularly yeah. in the cop, in the combat arms with, and the infantry. Um, hmm. because in the infantry, that is really the, where your true leadership is, you know, say a mass corporal, which is the first level leadership. You know, he's got eight to 12 guys he's looking after. And then you have a sergeant who's in charge of overall of that group. And in other trades, so for instance, the armored corps, you have a troop, which is a platoon. So an infantry platoon is about 38 guys. Yeah. A armored, an armored platoon troop is 12. And within that 12 guys, you have two master corporals, a sergeant, and a warrant officer, and an officer.
0: So almost everyone's promoted in there.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, 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 so not really truly leading anyone. You have a vehicle with two to three troops in it. That's it. Mm-hmm. Right. Whereas in the infantry, especially if you're in an armored, uh, like lab battalion, you have that crew that you're running the same crew and the same vehicle that the armor corps is running. Plus you have seven assaulters in the back. Wow. So, and then on top of all the other infantry courses that you do. So it's uh, interesting. Um, and then you look at the Air Force. I mean, those are just pay ranks. And the first time I realized that was uh, actually as a warrant officer and we're on a big, massive exercise. And the Air Force is involved. Towards the end of the exercise, so we're in the mass having a meal and a, and a beer. And uh, this newly promoted Air Force sergeant sits down and goes, hey, can I join you guys? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. He goes, oh, i got some leadership questions for us. I said, sure. He yeah, like, how do I run my group of guys? And I said, okay, yeah. I said, how many troops do you have? He says, I have one. He's a master corporal. I'm like, in my head, I'm like, oh, my God. You can't handle leading one guy. And he's a, he's <laughs> a master corporal. So it's interesting to see that a lot of the military, um, yeah, you have a rank, but you're not really in charge of anything. It's more of a pay rank.
0: You know, we see that kind of in the policing world too. You have some, you know, you can have a squad on the street and you're in charge of 10, 12 people. Yep. Then you have some units where, well, some days it could be you're just the sergeant there and you have one constable under you. So, yep. yeah, it, it, it can vary widely, <laughs> I guess. Um, through And you were talking about your skydive coach. You said she was a world champ?
1: Yeah, she, I think Vaughn, so that's like back in 1982.
0: And, well, what, do you, um, what's a, what do you do to become a world champ at skydiving? I just think of it, you fall out of a plane. <laughs> so what, yeah. what else is there to it?
1: So back in that era, a uh, big one was accuracy. And you'd fly your canopy and you'd land it on this big inflatable um, round cushion. Hmm. Within, within that round cushion which is actually a fairly small target when you look at it. But then there's a 10-centimeter disc in the center. oh, And then you have to touch the dead center of that disc. So even though you've made it onto this 10-centimeter disc, you could hit the outside of that disc, and that's going to be zero points or one point. You have to get the closest to the center of that disc. So she, uh, she was an accuracy person. And then relative work is where you come out in the formation and you're touching each other. So you do a four way, four people are coming in and then you're doing different maneuvers and hooking up. And then you have to do so many maneuvers within that one minute of free fall. Wow. Yeah. So she was uh, very good at her her skills.
0: Yeah. And is that, so that was someone that you also looked to kind of emulate that was like on your, you were saying that you kind of took some pieces from what she was doing.
1: Well, I, I had a very limited exposure to her. It was, you know, just the jump yeah. course and a couple of jumps afterwards. But I am um, super impressed by her. And I've always um, promoted her uh, wherever I go and say, oh, by the way, I was taught by this. Yeah. This, this uh, lady. And, uh, and then she went on to the Skyhawks after that. But it was really neat because, well, it was, unfortunately, we were at uh, um, RCP Constable's funeral in Edmonton okay and uh, ran into her uh, at the at the parade and I mm-hmm. hadn't seen her in 30 years so that was kind of neat to run into her
0: Wow well and so when we're going through you know you're you've got a couple of years into the military are you kind of looking to promote and I know a lot of people might think oh no he's looking to promote that's uh you got to watch out for those people <laughs> but um but I, I think there's a lot of good people, and there's a lot of good reasons to promote, right? Because you can make change and and good change. But um, is that something that's always kind of been on your path, your trajectory? You always looked to kind of like I want to make change or mm-hmm. be able to have my own team, you know, and I can yeah. affect change that way. Is that, that that's kind of your yeah. your spirit
1: absolutely. Um, you know, when the promotion comes, it comes, but the the main, Intent is to make uh, what I say to people is I can influence my bubble, my sphere of influence. So as a masterful sergeant, I got this influence, and then I can get it bigger as a warrant officer, as a master warrant officer. So you're just making that sphere bigger. And the more you move up the rank, the more you have also with mentoring the junior officers. Yeah, because we go we go hand in hand in training each other because we train the junior officers. To become officers mm-hmm. and then when you go into warrant officer course you have officers and warrant officers training you yeah but the patricia is the pbcli we do a really good job with that nco officer relationship we're really blessed to have a really good uh, officer core and with mutual respect uh, up and down the ranks uh we've been um really fortunate with that good leadership role and it's important as that nco it's loyalty as well, you know. Back when I joined the early '80s army, it was a lot of us and them. The officers, you know, they're the officers. Were the no? That's not how it works. You have to have that mutual respect because we work with each other. Yeah, and it's our job to develop them, and their job to develop us. So it's 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 a two way street. When and that's got to go both ways. Yeah.
0: Well, do you ever um, when you're kind of moving up the ranks and in the military and Maybe even some of the executive protection stuff, but uh, what do you find was the biggest stressors in there? Because I think when I think of like the police um, and some of the people I've talked to on here, it always seems to be the moral injury or like the, the stuff that happens within the institution is the most damaging on a person. So uh, you know, you kind of sign up and you expect like you know the enemy's over there or the bad guys are over there. I know they don't like me and my feelings aren't necessarily hurt (laughs) by things they might say or do. Um, But when it comes to within the organization, uh, I know I've often heard that moral injury is kind of the biggest one, but I'm wondering, like as you're kind of going up and up, do you see that a lot? Like, is that a thing that kind of came up for you? Like uh,
1: maybe talk about toxic leadership.
0: Yeah. Well, there's toxic leadership. Um, Moral injury, I think you would be looking at things like yeah, issues with leadership. So people that are even further above you um, or people you know say they're going to do one thing, but do an opposite and, and yeah. those kind of things. So is that like a, a big thing that you would run into?
1: Yeah, I think uh, I think anybody encounters that there's always that that one leader um, that makes life difficult. Hmm. And uh, how I describe that is I find that is an incompetent leader. Because they are afraid to make that decision or they are intimidated by your leadership. Yeah, that's a good one. So they, they won't execute because they're in fear of you that you're going to outperform them. So that's that's you know that's an incompetent leader. Um, so yeah, there's, there's lots of that. Um, well, I shouldn't say lots, but that's a minimal side. Um, and, but there's always ways to get around that and manipulate that, um, that leader. Um, for instance, uh, when I was the, uh, master sniper for Western Canada, um, I wanted to run a shoot off the tower and we have this massive tower in Wainwright called range 16. So my scheme of maneuver was to uh, gain entry into this tower and then we shoot high angle from the tower itself. Yeah. And then we would repel off the tower to extract and then do a fighting withdrawal. So this is with my snipers. So I come up with this plan, and I, and some people hear my plan, like, there's no way you're going to be able to do that. I'm like, why? Well, it's never been done before. Yeah, roger that. So I'll make it happen. <laughs> so that's, that's lazy leadership. Um, so I had some people about me going, oh, no, that's not going to work, even though they have nothing to do with snipers, but they're just trying to shut it down right away. So, all I did was, is what we, when we're doing a, what we call a field fire, so you're not on an actual conventional range, um, we have to template it. So, we have to template the, the map and the ground. So, we have our safety arcs and um, and then do our range ops order. So, I, I did all that ahead of time. And then I went to range control, presented to them, like, yeah, absolutely, that's going to be a fun shoot. Uh, you know, it's the first time anyone's done that. Yeah, oh, great. So, when I, gave the plan to the higher-ups who were originally saying, no, that's not going to happen. I'm like, yeah, it's all blessed. Here you go. It's signed off. We're going to do it. Like, oh, great. Go for it. Same with um, doing some training with American Special Forces units in the States. I'd already done all my phone calls, Mm -hmm. uh, rearranged everything. And then when I toss this, they're like, oh, we don't know if, you're going to be able to do that. I go, well, we're already accepted. Here's the uh, letter from their commanding officer inviting us. And, uh, and here's my budget. Yeah. So I did three. So I did three budgets. I did expensive option, middle option and cheapest. So they couldn't say no. Yeah. But the interesting thing was they always pick the most expensive budget.
0: Oh, really? So
1: budget was, so budget was never the issue.
0: That's surprising.
1: <laughs> the issue is, you know, cause there's always the great idea guys. Mm-hmm. And then, guess what happens with the great idea, guys? And you're the higher up, you have to execute my mission now. So, they don't want to do the work. So, I did all the work prior and just made it happen. So, that's 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 a way to get around those kind of people.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's those are some really valid points. Um, what well, maybe we'll kind of continue a little bit with your career, talking about uh, some of the places you've been because you've been to many, um, but over those years, as you're kind of promoting, what are you kind of seeing um, in your your own leadership style? So as you're going along and you're kind of, you go up in ranks, you have more people below you, uh, you know, are there certain things that you're taking away from that uh, experience that you're like, oh, I should have done this better. Maybe I should have changed the way I acted or said things. Like, is there, are, are you kind of, Reflecting as you're going along, or is that something you didn't notice till later in life?
1: Um, I think that's part of growth. When you're a junior NCO at the mass corporal, the you know, the lowest level, um, all mass corpus are in the same boat and you're just fire eaters and you're just like just going 110%. <laughs> and uh and then when you reflect back, it's like, wow, a few of those moments shouldn't have happened. Um yeah. maybe, a bit too, maybe a bit too aggressive. And, but that's part of your own personal growth. And as you move up the rank, you you get that level of leadership maturity is, is occurring. So, yeah. So, I mean, I do that after action AR throughout, but I didn't do it as a mass corporal. It was about maybe three years into it. And I was like, oh yeah, I need to pull the reins in a bit on, 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 on how I execute this. But you also have to temper it with what you're doing. If it's, you're dealing with your own troops of battalion, that's different. It's more relaxed a submission focus and pure mentorship whereas when you're dealing with a recruit you're breaking that person down and you're trying to put the most stress on that person as you possibly can mm-hmm. but you're still mentoring but it there's a lot more induced stress from the NCO from yourself so you have to learn to tailor yeah how you discipline how you instruct and how you execute With the different situations, I'm I'm pretty sure you've seen that yourself. Yeah,
0: it's just knowing your audience. So whether you're recruit, you know, teaching a recruit on the street, or you know, um, now you're if you're an acting sergeant, now you're speaking to management. Like there's just different ways to do it. Um, Everyone has like you have your own style kind of mixed in there. Uh, Not everyone's going to say the exact same thing with the same tone and inflection, which I've found out sometimes gets you in trouble. (laughs) But Yeah, so you're you know, as you're kind of growing up in the the military and you're getting all these experiences and, and leadership examples, um, are you? Did you ever have kind of like a, an end goal in mind of what you wanted to look like as a leader? Are you saying like, um, you know, I, if I was to kind of give an example, I would say like, I want to be you know emulate this character in this movie. I want to have these values i want to kind of say these things like is there anything that you saw yourself down the road going you know i want at, to at some point i want to be that person or i want to be like this whatever that might be ever come up for you
1: no um no i have i have my own leadership style i just like i said i took mm-hmm. bits and pieces from everybody else and make it mine um mm-hmm. i i think if you if you're really if you're end state or aiming to be this, I think that's kind of disingenuous. You got to be yourself because mm. um, that's what makes you you. Yeah. What I didn't get as a mass war officer, I started getting my soft skill more. Like I appreciate how senior officers um, speak, yeah, and articulate themselves, how they uh, carry themselves. I don't want to be an officer, but you need to have that more gentle gentleman type skill as you go higher up and I have to say I think you know you could achieve that even at your junior level but we don't we're, we're kind of savages you know we're you know a we're, we're a bunch of apes at the end of the day yeah um but that brings me to the when I when I retired I went over to the loyal Edmonton regiment reserve unit and uh, I had a great uh, very fortunate to work with a lot of those guys who were attached to in Afghanistan to our battle group and good bunch of solid guys, and uh, I'll have to say, there was a group of guys there that were just amazing. Like these guys were ju- corporals, mass corporals, and they acted like gentlemen. They dressed well after work. Yeah, uh, they carried themselves well. And I think that would be good for our troops, but we don't read that into them, um, because you should have that that skill, that soft skill and that hard skill should be combined. You don't have to be, I think you don't have to be an officer to have that both combination. If we bring our younger soldiers up in that direction, um, I think we would do well. So a bunch of those guys actually moved on to some great things. So uh, one of my guys, Master of Jeffrey Harder, true gentleman. And uh, he got... Felt fed by both myself and my son. My son taught him on his army paratrooper course. Oh, wow. And he he was one of my soldiers. And uh, so here's this guy who's a paratrooper, combat veteran, and now he's a doctor. So uh, it's kind of neat to see.
0: Like a a physician outside the
1: army. Yeah, he's a dentist. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, another one of the guys, um, ironic, he got the medal of Military valor in Afghanistan, and uh, now he's an air control officer in the Air Force, and another one of the guys who is a total gun nut mm-hmm. um, guy is out shooting all the time he's the gear you know he's the kit guy <laughs> and combat veteran, great dude, and now he's a pilot in the air Force, so all these guys have moved on to some pretty cool things.
0: yeah, I think uh, on the leadership side of things, that's always one of the things that. Uh, say has fascinated me but also made me whenever I'm interacting with more junior members or training people like I like to go in a direction where um, you, know, you can be personable and you can switch between the roles like we were saying you if you have a brand new recruit you're gonna break them down or treat them a certain way, not a bad way, but you're can treat them a little differently than speaking to power uh, in the ranks but I think uh when you want to develop a style, you don't have to emulate someone at the very end, right? Like you were saying, but I think you can see the qualities in that person. You just want to go in a certain direction. So mm-hmm. you try to uh, act in a certain way that gets you there. One of the things I was wondering, like as you're, when you're doing the executive protection portion of your career, when we're talking about leaderships, so you were five different premiers? Yeah. What did you kind of see from them? Like, what were they? Uh, what were they like as
2: leaders?
1: Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, each one is different. Uh, yeah. First one, first one, uh, Premier Redford, uh, absolute non-show, um, terrible leader, not a leader, uh, not focused, um, awful person.
2: Like just in the way
1: they treat people. <laughs> treat treat okay. people terribly. Treat us terribly. Hmm. Um, unfortunately for me, I was one of the favorites. So I was always the number one, always with her, never on the advanced team and getting a break. Oh, okay. However, I have to say, interesting story. So uh, you must know John visher John visher Yeah. And well, I mean, before your time, he was in charge of the Earth team for years. Okay. I don't think nobody's broken his physical fitness records, even his son, who's a serving member. Hmm. um hasn't broken his records anyways i trained the earth team snipers in rural operations for a couple of years so i got to know all these guys um when i was uh posted to wainwright so when i retired i went to the sheriffs and uh who'd i run into john vizier who's running the team he sees me he's like johnny I'm like john he says what are you doing here i go i'm retired i'm retired we're gonna talk so i got drafted to the team because of him because he knew my, my background performance. So anyways, um, the election was coming up uh, for her. So I got brought in as an ad hoc and worked with the team um, throughout the entire election. And then a couple of months afterwards. So there was a position coming up for the North team. And then unfortunately, the position went down to the South team, to Calgary. So Bruce... He an ex-dog man from EPS. Okay. Uh, he was my superintendent. Calls me in the office. Hey, uh, unfortunately, you know, your performance is amazing, but the position's going to Calgary. And of course, I'm devastated, but I'm just like, hey, you know what, Bruce, I get it. You know, I'm next sergeant major. you got to maneuver your troops where they should go. It's awesome. And uh, yeah, if a position comes up, please consider me. Mm-hmm. And leave the office. And I'm like, God damn. <laughs> <And laughs> so, Literally the next day, um, because at that point I was doing patrol at the legislature, I'm at the loading dock area and the Premier Redford comes down and she sees me and she says, Tim, I'm like, Premier? She goes, what are you doing here? I'm this is my job. About 15 minutes later, I get a phone call. Yeah, go uh, take your uniform off, put your suit on, report to the unit. She called the chief. She called the chief directly and said, I want this guy. Wow. This made it happen. So as, as much of a terrible experience that was being with her, mm-hmm. uh, she actually got me the job. So that was kind of nice. Uh, after that, we had, <clears throat> she got fired after two and a half years. Um, even right down to the janitor, people were smiling again. Um, the janitors wouldn't even come in the wing if they knew she was there. That's how toxic this, um, this was. Oh, She affected everybody in the building. Um, then we had, uh, Premier Hancock come in as the intern, amazing guy. This guy is hard, hard worker, Um, pleasant, good man. And uh, now he's back being a judge um, in Alberta. Then we had uh, Premier Prentice, Um, as you know, he lost, then lost the election, and then Mm -hmm. died in a plane crash after that. So then we had uh, Notley, Premier Notley, for four years. Um, She was. Well, I'm not really good with the NDP politics. Mm-hmm. Um, however, as a human, she was great to work for.
0: Yeah, Um and it's not necessarily to get into the the yeah beliefs, but it's just talking about the person themselves, like what they're like. The person himself,
1: she, you know, yeah. I, I don't, I don't want to get the politics side of it, but she was great to work for, and uh, um, nice lady. Um, she was a big runner. She always ran like a 10k in the morning. She ran. Oh, wow. uh, marathons, half marathons. So she's going
0: for a 10 K you're going for a 10 K.
1: That's right. <laughs> yeah. So that, that kept our accountability on that side. So it also, you know, logistically with the team, it's hard because then you need a follow vehicle and yeah, you need a runner. You need, uh, you need the route prior, um, all that good stuff. <clears throat> and then if you had visiting dignitaries, uh, then you put some people on bikes because then you got more people to deal with. Um, so, following her, uh, we had Premier Kenny. Mm-hmm. Premier Kenny was incredible. Now, when you talk about hardworking people, that guy, um, I would say he's like being with uh, one of your best COs in the battalion, just nonstop and uh, such a good person. Super proud of the team. Uh, he'd always introduce us to all these big clients. Ever coming to invest in Alberta, like billionaires and corporations like, Hey, I want to do shit to my team. And I'm, it's like, bro, you don't have to do this, <laughs> Yeah, but uh, it's fantastic. And I'm not, a, I'm not a religious guy, but I appreciate he's a Catholic and he does church every Sunday. Wow. So you're in church with him, And then we go do breakfast after the normal routine. And then we do, do breakfast afterwards. And, uh, and he realizes we're with him all the time. He's like, gunny, uh, yeah, after breakfast, I got to go back to the church for a couple hours. So we're going to, we won't do that next hit. I'm like, hey, Roger, that, goes. Um, yeah, I got to clean toilets and wash floors. I'm like, okay, P, go for it. And uh, so nobody knows about this. Like, so here's the premier of Alberta on his hands and knees scrubbing toilets and washing floors at the church.
0: Wow. Yeah. I, yeah. I've never heard of that. I had heard that he, he was known even in federal politics as like, he, he never stopped. You basically just work 24 seven.
1: Yeah. First couple of days we had him. Yeah. Um, you know, these guys have speechwriters, but he was writing his own and, uh, yeah, it's like zero three in the morning. I'm like, Oh my God. Like I've been going since zero eight and, uh, I'm still, we're We do eight days on. So there's no sleep. Oh, wow. Uh, like we, we break every labor code. There is like, we don't get overtime because we're managers mm. and, uh, you just work. So, I'm getting paid for 36.7 hours a week, but I'm doing that in about two and a half days. <laughs> oh, so you're, you're just bagged at the end. So I check down his office I'm like, "P, how's it going?" He goes off. Oh. Goes off. Oh, sorry, Gunny, I just got carried away. One more hour. I graduate that. So we get out of there at four, and then I pick him up at six thirty in the morning.
0: Geez, it's like uh, being back in—I uh, don't know, like early. You know, when you're 18 to 20, and I don't know if you. are going out and partying well (laughs) you party till like two three in the morning then get get to work at like five
1: (laughs) well no actually it it reflects uh my job being in reconnaissance platoon so it was Mm -hmm. exactly like that it was just go 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 so that was a hard thing for the unit to when we bring people in everybody wants to do exec protection because it's a cool job and it's high profile until they need to do exec protection hours yeah and you're not getting paid and you're not getting paid for those hours yeah Right, So a lot of guys, we'll bring guys in who we've selected off their performance off the course, and we try them out for a week or two, and they're like, "This not for me. Mm. We're like, see ya. Um, so that that was a challenge. Um, but the best thing about exec protection I really enjoyed was um, firefighting, right? Putting out fires, uh, working logistics when things collapse, and coming up with next courses of action like right away and making it happen. And all the premiers are just like, how'd you make this work? Yeah, because our prior training for the military just made you be able to make this happen, like make meet connections, get my get our own bus in D.C., like pre- pre- how do we get our own bus and take us to the plane? I'm like, uh, <laughs> I, know, I, I know a guy, you know, it's just just making these things work or when things go to a total disaster and then they pull up the car as soon as they get out. Like when you've been stuck in traffic or something, like they were repoing cars, and as the bodyguard moving, and it's like, oh my god, that was incredible! The car just pulled up. Yeah, when they were like, we're, we're ten out. I'm like, we're one out. Let's go. <laughs> um, so, I, a quick funny story of how things can rapidly go bad, but you've got to keep your calm. Mm-hmm. So, we were going to DC with Redford. Um, so, I'm new to the team. Got to perform. So, I arrived on Vance party. We went check. We were going to Bilderberg Conference, which was outside of DC. So, I drove all the routes, checked everything we have to do because you're normal stuff. Go to the airport, pick up the team and her. What does she want to do? Well, we don't want to go to Bilderberg right away. Mm-hmm. Let's go eat somewhere in DC that we haven't checked, that we don't have a route for, and it's just all ad hoc right now. So, that's stressful. So, we pull up, <clears throat> I pull up to this. Um, this junction go park and there's parking I'm like oh this is working out great so we park do our thing go down we go eat (laughs) reading outside on a patio you know when you have that spidey sense that something just doesn't feel right Mm -hmm. and this is towards the end of the meal and she starts paying so it's like okay let's go get the vehicles we'll get them all repoed and ready to go I look up just as I look up what do I see my vehicle being towed (sighs) Through the intersection, It's got all the luggage in it. And I'm like, so I look at my partner, said, Marcia, our vehicle's being towed. I am going to go and retrieve it. Yeah. And I just get up and I walk slowly across the street. As soon as I get around the corner, just dark, Governor. <laughs> and luckily it was, you know, um, high traffic. It was a rush hour. So the vehicle's not moving very far. Yeah. Saw the vehicle, badge him. It's who I am. This is what's going on. They don't care. It's like, yeah, sure. I'll take it down. It's 200 bucks. I like, yeah, right for that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Tow truck drivers, they don't care.
1: <laughs> so now it's all one ways and it's rush hour traffic. And then Marcia and the team are like, yeah, we're moving. It's only about two minutes to walk to the B. And now I'm just maneuvering through traffic in DC. And just as I pull up, boom, they, they breach the uh, corner. And I'm just like, oh my God. And the whole team knows what was going on. Cause I'm talking all the way through. And, uh, yeah, so you get a lot of those kind of incidents happen and they, it just works out.
0: Yeah. People don't see a lot of the stress that goes into those small things, but they think this magically just things happen for me.
1: <laughs> yeah. So Bilderberg was interesting, uh, cause only one team member could go in, uh, into Bilderberg with the principal. And, uh, they had a bunch of ex Navy SEAL guys doing the full security and they had trauma buses and they could do everything on site. And the protesters were everywhere hmm. and they had protesting areas that were, um, you know, um, caged off. But the funny thing was, so the rest of us, we couldn't go in. So we're staying at a hotel offsite and who's staying at the hotel? All the protesters.
2: Oh, Jesus.
1: So. We're just, we are we just dressed like they did and we're just downstairs and we're just chatting with them, getting all the int we want and just relaying it to Marcia, who is in Bilderberg. So it worked out sweet. So we had it, <laughs> got our own int going and uh, just worked out fine.
0: Well, I think that's, uh, yeah, I mean, you're just kind of making do with what you got, what you're presented with. I think, he, he, you know, when you're talking about the, the well, I guess the wide variety of leadership styles uh, or in some cases, maybe lack of um, you're exposed to quite the different people, even just in that, that, uh, experience with the premiers. Um, maybe, and some of the thing you said there kind of maybe is a good segue into talking about like the stress and PTSD, uh, for yourself, you know, do you, are you diagnosed with any PTSD from military and, or the executive experience?
1: Yeah, definitely military side. Um, as extreme uh, PTSD, but it's manageable, right? I can manage it. Um, and it's the side effect from doing your job. I think everybody has to accept you're going to have that side effect. Um, it's how you manage it. Uh, yeah. and, um, And treat it as a, a normal thing. It's, you know, you get bad knees from. Exactly. Awesome PT and running and jumping out of planes. That's the side effect. So, how do you move forward with it? Um, for my wife, Uh, her way to dealing with it with me was to make fun of me and we would turn everything into a joke and a laugh. It's like, you know, doing all the crazy things you do and it would just make you laugh about it. And that's, that's how we, we dealt with it. And I think that's great because some wives can't handle that stuff and they just end up divorcing because the weird and wacky things you do. Mm -hmm. But, but the interesting thing is um, I definitely got that PTSD from Well, it was from multiple missions, but it definitely started in 94 in Croatia. And uh, that destroyed a lot of people um, because rules of engagement um, kind of like tied your hands. And so it's frustrating. So you're over there to help these people. Uh, You're in between the Croatians and the Serbs and you're trying to to help these guys. But then your rules of engagement don't allow you to actually assist. So then you're Mm -hmm. seeing bad things happen to people where you could do something. So, yeah, so then that just kept, you know, building up, and then you do other missions. Um, But I find it interesting that about 10 years after a critical mission, whereas, say, Afghanistan, you're having a lot of critical events happening. Yeah. um, It's about 10 years after the fact it starts hitting people. So when I see, like, my guys breaking down, it's, well, okay, that's the timeline is working out here. It's 10 to 12 years. You get other side effects too, uh, for me, like I work, I don't smoke. I work out every day, but I have high blood pressure because I was working in that zone all the time. Mm -hmm. So you're working up in that zone and the body is never coming down. Yeah. So it's never, it's never relaxing inside truly, but you have to look at the positive side of it. It, If you look at it negatively, it's going to get worse for you. If you think of it as almost like a badge of honor, then it's different, isn't it? And so, for instance, Hmm. if someone came and broke your leg, Colonel Grossman says this, someone came down the street and smashed your femur with a baseball bat, you are going to be devastated. And you're like, why did this human attack me? Human on human contact. Yeah. But if you broke that skydiving or skiing, you'd be like, yeah, bro, broke my leg skydiving. (laughs) No big deal. But because it was broken by an attack by another human, now it's devastating to your brain. So that's what happens with the PTSD. It's human on human contact, right? Or what you observe when you're seeing things every day. So, yeah. So going into executive protection, I was PTSDed way up there. <laughs> yeah. So what's the other side effect of when you're in this mode? It's I need to work, 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 work. I have to keep going and going and going and going. Keep past. your mind
0: off of
2: things
1: piling everything on yeah so the executive protection we were like i said we broke every labor law there is we're you know we're working 18 hour days maybe one meal a day for eight days in a row then you got your six days off and that's your recovery Mm -hmm. and uh then i became the sergeant major of the i was the first sergeant major of the uh, sheriff so we had a great uh um chief who came from rcp was second command of k div and they run like the military and he's like, I like, you know what you need? You need to start a miracle. Yeah, I do I said, You want to do it? I'm like, absolutely. So I came up with that. And then now all the solicitor general have started meters for each different sub branch. So the crazy thing about that was it was off the side of desk job. So I would do these crazy hours for eight days. And then on my six days off, what am I doing?
0: Yeah. You're picking up
2: more.
1: I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm running parades. I'm running medals parades. I'm, writing all these op-, op orders. Then I go back to work. <laughs> so I never took a break.
0: You sound like a lot of guys on the job.
1: Yeah. So I never took a break. Then I volunteered to go to the uh, academy and teach drill and run the, the graduation ceremonies. So I just kept putting more and more and more on my plate. And, oh, there's a course. Yeah, I'll go on that course. Uh, there's a mission overseas. I'll take that mission overseas. Even though it's not my slot, I'll take it.
0: But at what point would you say that you actually recognized that something wasn't right or this, you know, the lifestyle, you're like, this is really impacting me. So where was that for you? Cause you did a lot of years in the military yeah, and then you still go off to do, you know, another 10, 12 years after that of just work, work, work. Where, where do you kind of recognize it?
1: So that, that's a funny story itself. So I decide, you know what, I'm going to retire, but I need to get my job first. So my job, again, I envisioned, I want to be an executive protection unit. That's why I joined the sheriffs. But instead of joining the police, I joined the sheriffs because they had executive protection. And that was okay. My, I want to go. That's why I want to go there. And it, that happened. But anyways, I, <clears throat> once I got my uh, recruit course confirmed, then I put in my paperwork to leave the military. So I left on a Friday and I started my recruit course on a Monday. I, I got a weekend off and I started <laughs> recruit training. Wow. So that that <laughs> that's how I operated all the way through. So what really got me was uh, we came off um, the re-election campaign with uh, Notley. And we have been out for, she's close to 10 to 11 days, so past my eight days because we're on the road. And we didn't uh, do a relief in place for that because we were coming back to the city anyways. And uh, <clears throat> so... We're meeting my nephew for supper at the keg, and of course, after doing this crazy amount of hours, what do I need to do when I get first thing? I need to do after being deployed. Yeah, I need to go to the gym, so I go work out, shower, and let's go. We're going to the keg, eat my meal, and I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm not feeling good. Maybe I have to go to the washroom. So on my way to the washroom, I passed out, went into convulsions. Oh wow! Uh, This is right in the keg. Then I get up because now you're disorientated. I'm in civvies, I'm unarmed, but what's my first instinct? I'm going for my sidearm and I'm scanning my arcs, and then boom, I'm down again. Then the second time I wake up, my wife's on top of me, a, a waitress is on top of me, stay down, stay down. Then I get up again, and then bam, out. So the ambulance comes, <clears throat> they put me in the ambulance, they do EKG in there, something's wrong with my heart. But what's the option I choose? I don't need to go to the hospital. I'm good, I'll walk this off. Mm-hmm. So we go home. I do some brain scans and my brain's all messed up. And yeah. So I took a couple of weeks off and then back at it. So then carry on. Yeah. Not listening to my body. And I'm like, nope, mission. Let's go. Let's drive on. So then I went all the way through um, with Kenny for two years. And then, uh, then I, you know, they died again. I had a prostate biopsy that went south and went south because my immune system was so low. I went septic and spent eight days in the hospital. I died and came back and lost like 30 pounds of muscle. It was ridiculous. Wow. And then that's where it's like, okay, I need to retire. So, it, at
0: like throughout your whole military career and then everything after, was anyone ever like, were you ever taught about mental health or? No. Taking care of yourself in that way. So nothing no. ever came up. Eh?
1: No. Um, <clears throat> the military does it now. Um, so I think they're doing a better job with it.
2: Yeah. And uh, however, I think they need to do a better
1: job. So for instance, hmm. we enter your ankle or your leg on PT or on an exercise or a mission. What do we do? We give you physiotherapy. We work on that injury so we need to have psychologists in every unit so you can go talk to a psychologist so the problem that they do now is as soon as you go talk to a psychologist now you bag red so now you can't deploy missions. okay or you can't get promoted so now what's that do that well that stops the hard charges from going to get help because they don't want to lose their job and they want to keep doing missions exactly all this is, is let's let's tune the brain let's fix the brain I believe JTF has that for the tier one operators. They have psychologists they can talk to. And so they should. So I think every, we have dentists in the unit. We have doctors in the unit. Why don't we have a psychologist in the unit? Yeah. That's the biggest piece. Think about the money. claim forces can save on payouts. If we're, if we're tuning your brain all the way through this process, through your career until like me, where you finally collapse, your body just shuts down and you collapse.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think it's. I always find that in that again, talking about leadership. I don't know if it just comes down to like a dollars and cents thing, and they see it as like, oh, this is a big bill right now, but they're not thinking about all the money they're going to be paying on the back end. Maybe they just think, well, that's going to be somebody else's issue.
1: But think about if I'm paying a psychologist in the army. Yeah. E- even if I'm paying them two hundred thousand a year. Yeah. To see my troops. Think about a a claim alone is two hundred grand per soldier.
0: Yeah, well, and I know when people get on the veterans' affairs, uh, they get on the like assistance, right? Because you can have some payouts for physical uh, physical disabilities, and then you can also have the mental side. I mean, you don't have to convince me. I think it's totally worth it. I have this argument all the time, even when just trying to get you know suspenders or better belts or vests or whatever it might be. On the physical side of things that in and of itself has been a long long fight you think how do you talk about the mental health side to a lot of these people in management and where do you find the leaders who want to make those changes right aren't afraid to kind of stick their neck out there and make a decision make that change that hopefully is better for all the
1: people yeah well you look at the programs you know there's good programs like uh, the suicide awareness, like, you know, uh, you get guys on that program so they can chat and talk. Well, how about we get a psychologist instead of getting an armchair ranger doing this? Yeah. Uh, you know, still have that peer, um, that peer check in place, but put all the money into the psychologist. Anyways, mm-hmm. that's my view. And I think, I think that's something that should be, uh, pushed moving ahead.
0: Yeah. Well, um, As we kind of come up to the end of the time here, I want to make sure we talk about the skydiving and just um, how that's kind of helped you and how you help other people. So, Can you talk a bit about um, being at Campbell River and then uh, Operation uh, Pegasus?
1: Yeah. Uh, So, you know, I've been jumping out of planes since I was 17. And then that's something I did in the Army uh, throughout my career. So to me, that's just my, that's my natural, that's my thing. And when you leave service, you need that connection. So a lot of guys are going to the range and shooting and all that good stuff. Uh, For me, it's the the skydiving. I love the smell of the parachute, the the plane ride, the noise, the air, the excitement. Um, And it just feels good. And I don't have to go do a a crap load of jumps. I can just go out to DZ and do one jump, two jumps for the day and just hang out and just part of that camaraderie. And the skydiving community is... Very similar to the infantry. It's very close-knit. Okay, Um, Everyone's there to help each other. Uh, Everybody's a bit crazy with, uh, you know, everything you do is a beer. Your first milestone of anything is like a case of beer. If you screw up, it's a case of beer. So it's a lot of, there's no snowflakes at the DZ. It's all about just making fun of each other and having a great time. So a few of us were sitting around like, hey, you know what? Campbell River is the only veteran-owned drop zone in Canada. We have like seven ex-Skyhawks in the DZ. Um, We have serving members and a lot of retired people who served. We're all working there. And um, we're like, you know what? We should do something for the veterans and first responders. So we threw Operation Pegasus Jump together. And we run it like a military operation. So we have military instructors. So it's very like this, the instruction. Yeah. And making, making fun of each other, right? Because it's a stressful thing to do, jump out of a plane. So let's make it fun at the same time. Yeah. And then we do um, very military. It's the drop zone set up like a forward operating base. We have sea containers and we have our flight racks and we have our aircraft mock-up. And first thing people come through and we got flags everywhere. First people are like, oh, I feel like I'm deployed again. This feels great.
0: See, so it's that familiarity, right? Like yeah. You're, you're making them more comfortable in the area.
1: Yeah, so it's so good. Um, and then we train them all day, we jump, and then we continue jumping. But then what happens on the last day, on the fourth day, is we do a big parade. So we have the pipes and drums, the legion come out, we march on, we do a wing ceremony, we have a set of wings, uh, the ones that you see on the flag behind you. Yep. Um, so we present those with you, and uh, all the staff come through, we present the wings, everyone hugs and shakes hands, and Just a great ceremony. And then what happens on that day is rotation one is four days, and then rotation two is four days. So, on the last day of rotation one, is the first day for rotation two coming in and signing up. So, we put both rotations out on the field for the parade. We have local elders bless the parade. We do a prayer, and uh, then we play Amazing Grace. And as that plays, um, we tell everyone to yell at the names of people they've lost. In service, so we started that on year one, and uh, I've never seen that before. Uh, Rob McNeil, one of the owners, he came up with this idea, and it's mm, impactful. Instead of being silent and thinking, yeah, when you're hearing people yell out the name and date of their death, it hits home. You're like, wow! And with the music playing, a lot of tears, a lot of crying. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's pretty impactful. Then following that parade, then we do a big steak dinner with both rotations. And then we play the videos of all the skydives that were completed during that time. So rotation two gets to see that what they get, what's up and coming. They get to reconnect with people they haven't seen in years or make new friends at the same time. One of the really neat things about it is um, seeing the spouses coming up. Because spouses is part of this team, you know, getting through, Police service, military service—it's your spouse that keeps everything together. Yeah. So they can't be forgotten. So we've had a lot of spouses jump with their with their partners, <laughs> and we've had a few now that are full, fully qualified skydivers and now are skydiving together. So that's pretty neat. Um, <clears throat> for the second year, excuse me. For the second year, which was this year. Um, we had a lot more first responders out. So we need to get that word out. We need more first responders, paramedics, police, et cetera. We had a lot more police this year. Uh, we had quite a few RCMP. Uh, we had Ottawa guy come out, uh, for the second year and the an next uh, Peel regional guy who's good friends with the Ottawa guy. And, uh, they're both now fully qualified solo skydivers.
0: Have you had anyone from like overseas or the U S come up?
1: Um, we've had guys who, from the British army who are now living in Canada. Okay. Um, but it is open to five eyes. So if you're British, New Zealand, Australia, Canada, USA, yeah, you're absolutely, you can come up, but I definitely want to see more first responders. I want to see more fire and more police, uh, and more paramedics, man. I, I tell you the paramedics, that's something that we don't give enough credit to. These guys are seeing crap all day every day Mm. and they're being abused by the people they're treating yeah they and they they don't make a lot of money and these guys are seeing the worst of the worst every day so i this is really important for them to come out because the whole idea behind this is building up camaraderie building that new connection with someone else from a different service but also being there and being around everybody else that's been through traumatic stuff through their careers To go, this is a normal way to feel, and it's okay. Because a lot of guys will be isolated and think, I'm the only guy that's going through. No, you're not. Everyone's going through it, and this is how everyone deals with it. And then the skydiving itself, that's stressful. So we're putting positive stress to help build that resilience for your day-to-day job. Yeah. Because if if you can get out of that plane, you can do anything.
0: Do you have have anybody that shows up and is like, "Uh, no, I'm not going now? (laughs)
1: <laughs> no, nope. everybody's done it. Everyone, Everyone has. has ex- wow. Everyone's executed. <laughs> but there's been people saying, ah, I don't know about this. Mm-hmm. So you just treat that negative with positive. You know what? You're right. It's not natural to jump out of the plane. Of course, you're apprehensive. Of course, this is not cool. But let's give it a go. Let's try it. And then you can do it. Great. If you can't. That's not a big deal either. You should got in the plane. Yeah. And yeah. they always go. They don- everybody goes.
0: Well, if uh, I can help spread the word, I'll, I'll certainly do that. Um, we're at the end of our time. I want you just to let tell people where they can follow you. If you don't know the specific links, I'm going to put them up anyways. But where's the best place for people to follow you and the projects you got going on?
1: Yeah, Roger. You can follow me at Army Sergeant Major on Instagram. And for Operation Pegasus Jump, you can follow us on Operation Pegasus Foundation. On Instagram. And all that information will be posted there. Um, our new website will be up and running in January. And uh, we're going to open registration starting mid January. And that will be one stop shop on the website, you'll be able to register, um, get all the information you require in order to execute this mission. And um, yeah, so this year's mission or 2024 will be July 15th to the 21st broken into two rotations rotation one the 15th to the 18th rotation two 18 to 21. also note you can attend both rotations if that's what you want to do if you want to actually come out of the qualified solo another thing to note is yeah there is a cost to this um we are doing fundraising we are not a uh, we are a foundation but we still don't have tax status so we rely on uh like uh, a lot of the weed companies uh canada connect Spartan wellness canada and Avail Medical have given us five thousand dollars each, nice. expecting nothing in return other than a bit of advertising. And King Group, uh, real estate out here in Comox. King was a paratrooper uh, in Third Battalion, sniper, combat vet, and then finished off as a search and rescue technician. And now he's running his own real estate company. And yeah, he just gave us five grand. I'm like, hey. Kinger, I can't give you a receipt. goes, ah, let's sell another house. No big deal. Here you go. (laughs) So that that was kind of nice. And um, so what we're going to do is we're going to try and augment your cost. So I believe the first jump course is about 300 bucks. So uh, we're hopefully you'll be able to take 150 bucks off of which we did this year. And if our fundraising goes well uh, moving forward, um, hopefully we can pay the entire thing. And then it's just you guys trying to get paying to get out here. You can camp at the drop zone, um, so quarters uh, is cheap, and uh, we get a lot of support from the community. So ninety eight point nine Jet FM here has gave us six months of free advertising. They also just did a calendar, uh, a mullet calendar, and uh, all the proceeds will go to us. And Ace Brewery here in town, uh, we we developed our own beer with them, and uh, we call it Oh, Plan very B, cool. Which is so plan B is the emergency procedures. If you have to cut away, that's yeah. called plan B. So we need the beer after that. Um, So they're going to, so we raise some money with that, but this year what's going to happen is they're going to sell uh plan B and all the stores and their location in June. So all of June funds will come to us as well. Um, So what you get out of this is you'll get a t-shirt, a good t-shirt, not a crap one. Um, And then you will also get a meet and greet barbecue at the beginning and then a steak dinner at the end. Um, So that's all part of uh, our fundraising goes into that.
0: And a whole lot of helping and healing in there. So,
1: yeah. And then we do, uh, then we have a um, psychologist comes in on the third day and that's open to everybody and their spouses. And that's been very well attended. And we have yoga in the mornings. So, uh, yeah, it's it's a great experience. I didn't think this would get as big as it did. And, uh, we've had people come to both rotations. We have people coming for the third. Um, so it's, it's really good. It's really, um, exceeded our expectations.
2: Oh, that's,
0: uh, you know what? I think when you're out there and you're truly trying to help people, you'll find there's a lot of people who want to help you.
1: So, um, on our first year, we did three rotations. So that was 12 days. So day one is just the intro day. So that's, uh, 11 days uh, staff we were pretty burned out uh that was our first go we thought hey you know what let's give three dates that way more people can come then we tailored it down to two rotations for this year and next year um so this year over the eight days seven days of actual jumping we conducted 605 skydives in seven days wow. that's incredible
0: the, the planes just constantly down and up, down and up.
1: Like, yeah. Yeah. We got two planes, two planes running and us up and down, up and down, up and down. Wow. And um and 65 first jump horses, which is insane. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. That's good. Plus plus forty five uh tandems, over forty five tandems. We had the Skyhawks attend this year, and uh they took some people up in their military plane for some tandems as well. Oh, really? So they're coming back again in 2024.
0: Well, people have to look out for that. I know, uh, I see, I follow a lot of your stuff on Instagram. It's where I see a lot of it. So hopefully people follow you on there and we'll uh, definitely look to get the word out. So I hope the attendance, we can just help it grow. Yeah, it'd
1: be great.
0: Um, I want to say thanks for coming on today. Hang on live line for two seconds. But uh, yeah, many thanks. And uh, thanks for what you're doing and helping people fight the good
2: fight. Um, even after their service might be done. Thank you.